You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. The Holy Spirit is given to the church on the day of Pentecost as the first fruits of the believer's full inheritance that will be given to us in the future. Having and possessing the Holy Spirit now as first fruits is like having the first part of the harvest that's going to come in greater bounty even later. By possessing the Holy Spirit now in the present, the Holy Spirit now is a form of a guarantee, a down payment. Anyone that's ever put in the hard work of growing a garden knows what it's like when you get your first fruit. It's a very exciting thing when all your hard work begins to pay off and that first tomato or cucumber or strawberry becomes ripe. It's so rewarding, but still, that first fruit is just the beginning of what's to come. In today's message, Pastor Tom teaches us about the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit had finally come. As exciting as it was, that was just the first fruit of what God has in store. Now, here's Pastor Tom in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he continues his message, Endowed with Power from on High. The last time I preached from Acts 2, I kind of opened with what I'm about to say, and when I did, I got some quizzical looks from the congregation, but I want to do it again because I think it gets across an important truth I want you to understand, and that is this. I am a Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal. What I mean is I believe in Pentecost and I depend on the power of Pentecost and I refuse to take a backseat to any person or any movement in the church who claims to have more of the spirit of God and more of the gifting of God than what every other believer in Jesus Christ in the world has. My refusal to yield on this point is an expression of my zeal to serve and protect and defend the truth. The truth that every single believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit indwelling in them, has been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and is empowered and gifted by the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the centerpiece of the entire new covenant that you and I celebrate at this table in front of us. We are new covenant believers and the reception of and the empowerment of and the gifting of the Holy Spirit is the central aspect of that covenant. To reduce some Christians having less of the Spirit and others having more of the Spirit is to completely misunderstand the age in which we live and the covenant under which we operate. Dr. R.C. Sproul well articulates this in his book, The Mystery of the Holy Spirit. My complaint, he writes, against neo-Pentecostal theology, that's what he calls today's Pentecostal and charismatic movements, is that it tends to have too low a view of Pentecost. It seems that neo-Pentecostal theology fails to do justice to the historical significance of the book of Acts and leaves us with a view of the Spirit's work of charismatic endowment that is more similar to the Old Testament than to the New Testament. He goes on to write, The difference between the mediator of the Old Covenant, Moses, and the mediator of the New Covenant, Jesus, is that Jesus distributes his Holy Spirit upon all of his people. 
This is a key point that is obscured by the Neo-Pentecostal theology. Neo-Pentecostalism grants that the distribution of the Holy Spirit is available for all of God's people, but not necessarily gained by all of God's people, end quote. I joined Dr. Sproul in his concern that Pentecostalism actually diminishes rather than accentuates the work of the Spirit in this age. I hope we all value our relationship with God the Holy Spirit so much that we will not allow Pentecost to be hijacked by one part of the church who think that they experience it more than the rest of the church. Nor can we excuse those who have chosen to ignore or downplay or reduce or decentralize the importance of the Spirit of God to the power of the church and to the life of each Christian. That's why we're taking time to study the day of Pentecost in detail and the Spirit's tremendous impact upon the church. I think sometimes believers in a local church, particularly smaller local churches, think that they're not getting enough attention. They're not getting enough programs and teaching. They don't have something in that church that's tailor-made for me and where I am in my spiritual journey. Maybe you feel that way here at Hope as well. They think that they're not getting enough one-on-one discipleship or that they can't grow in their faith or mature or make progress past certain problems unless they get a full-time competent counselor or their exact small group that seems to understand their life situation or that book that deals exactly with their problem, or at least a great Christian friend who knows them and can understand them and listen to them. But beloved, that is not true. What those are, those are excuses. Those are misunderstandings of your Christian life and what God has already provided for you. The Bible tells you and tells me that we are responsible for our own growth, for our own development and sanctification, our own learning, The church can give you all the discipleship in the world that you say that you need, but only you can exercise faith in your circumstances. Only you can put truth into practice where you are. The truth is that you have already been outfitted for growth. You've already been outfitted to deal with your circumstances. You've already been given divine gear so you know how to handle whatever persecution you're in or whatever neglect you have gone through. Discipleship groups are very helpful. We thank God that we have them. We want to increase them. We want more people to be involved in them. But you've already been equipped. Your mind has been given the mind of God and Holy Scripture and your inside, your inner man, your, your spirit inside of you has already been fortified and strengthened by the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of you. You don't actually need a counselor to grow. You don't actually need a counselor to change. Isn't that a stunning statement? You have what God wants you to have already. And if you would receive it by faith and be obedient towards it, you would grow. The whole point of a biblical counselor or a discipler is to get you to the place where you understand what I just said and you believe it and they don't have to hold your hand anymore. You're growing and you're mature. You don't actually need one-on-one discipleship to determine that you're going to pray each day. You don't need someone to give you one-on-one discipleship to open up your Bible and see that there's a promise there that God says, believe it. You don't need one-on-one discipleship to show up to church each week and to receive the ministry of God's word or to gain the peace of God in your own heart by just trusting him and not being anxious all the time. 
You just need to take your walk with the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of you much more seriously. Put away life's distractions. Put away the constant excuses that you rehearse in your mind. Take ownership for your own Christian life. Ask God to help you understand your relationship with the Holy Spirit and the faith that God has given you more. Beloved, there are people in churches who do not have one-tenth of what we have in this church, and they are growing in Christ because they take whatever they've been given, and they grow, and they learn, and they believe. Do you understand that? Only as you obey what you are told will you grow. Take advantage of Bible studies and sermons and other believers that are around you and obeying and observe them and see how they're growing, and you can grow. See how the Holy Spirit has worked in their life and learn that and grow. I think some people act like they're starving when God has laid a banquet out in front of them, which they refuse to eat. One of the real benefits in going through the book of Acts is to see how little the early believers actually had in terms of church programs or what would be considered today trained counselors or any strategy of one-on-one discipleship. Or some vast small group discipleship strategy. It's just not there. Into they grew immensely. How did they do that? They had the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and each other. They grew greatly. They became Christ-like. They witnessed. They worshipped. They gave. How? How is that possible? Because they're in a program called the church. The church itself is one giant program. And, and Jesus Christ is running it from heaven. And you're part of it. One of the brothers here joyfully told me the other day that he had volunteered to serve in the conference we just had on faith. But when the morning arrived, he was regretting that he had volunteered and he didn't want to come. But he showed up and did his duty. And as he listened to the preaching of the word of God, the Lord spoke to him and ministered to him and brought joy back to his heart. Take advantage of what is right in front of you, what you have in your hands, this book that you hold. Take advantage of the things that you're hearing. Take advantage of the fact that the Holy Spirit never leaves you and will never forsake you. And with that in mind, I want you to open, if you haven't already, at Acts chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 4 again. Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit for the church to launch the whole program called the church, Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, Luke was writing, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, last time, if you were with us, you know that we introduced this topic and we noted the importance of Pentecost as a day that brought the much anticipated Holy Spirit of God to earth in full power. Of course, it was following Jesus's glorification. We were reminded that the Spirit of God is not a mere force. He is a person. He is God himself. He is the third member of the triune Godhead. They're equal in essence and different in their function and their role. We also took time to uh, divide our study into three time periods of the work of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the time period pre-Pentecost, and then we mentioned that there would be 
uh, some things we'd learn as to what happened at Pentecost and then also post-Pentecost. Last time, we only covered the pre-Pentecost era. If you didn't hear that, you're going to want to get that. That'll get you caught up. We noted that the Holy Spirit was at work before Pentecost, and he was at work at least in these three ways, really more than these three ways, but these were three dominant ways. One was in the creation of the world. We saw that in Genesis 1. Also, the second one was how he would empower certain people to do ordained tasks, everything from prophesying to artistic skill and governing, everything in between. And then the third one was he revealed truth to the prophets. He would descend upon a prophet and speak to a prophet. And the prophet would say, in the year of such and such, I received the word of the Lord. And it was a very definitive receiving of the word of God. The fullness of the Holy Spirit to preach and heal and cast out demons, however, didn't come until the life of Jesus. So we took time to talk about the limitations of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We noted that the Spirit did not come down upon every single believer as he does now. We noted also that even when he did come down upon some, he did not stay upon them permanently. And we also noted that Even the power that came was never with the full power that we saw and read about in the Gospels in the life of Jesus. Christ, his entire life from his miraculous conception to the resurrection from the dead, all of it was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He had an anointing on him symbolized by the descent of the dove that was greater than the anointing of any person before him. And that's why John the Baptist could say, this is the one who's going to give the Holy Spirit without measure. He's going to just dump the Holy Spirit on his followers. This is what will happen. And so Pentecost is Christ taking from his anointing, so to say, and giving to his disciples. He gave a little bit of a temporary measured empowerment so the disciples could do healing and cast out demons. They were all excited about it, but it was not the permanent one that would come on the day of Pentecost. Today we start part two, and we look at what happened at Pentecost. That's today, what happened at Pentecost. And as we will see, all the disciples in Jerusalem got the Holy Spirit, and they got the Holy Spirit permanently and in full measure, and we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks as well. So the work of the Spirit at Pentecost is what we're reading about here in verses 1 through 4. And when we look at it, we can divide this up and say, this text, verses 1 through 4, tells us the when, the where, the who, and the what. And we're going to go through that. The when, the where, the who, and the what of what happened at Pentecost. The what's the most important part, but save that for last and build up the other three first, okay? The when, the where, the who, and the what. Start with the when. First look at it again. Luke provides the exact timing of the Holy Spirit's coming for this fuller age in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come. The day of Pentecost was the day of the Jewish feast of Pentecost. The name Pentecost means 50th. It got that name because it was celebrated 50 days after the end of the Passover. In the Old Testament, this feast is called the Feast of Weeks because it came immediately after a cycle of seven weeks. Now, it's important for you to understand that the timing of Jesus sending the Holy Spirit on this day, the day of Pentecost, was not an arbitrary selection. He didn't just go eeny, meeny, miny, moe in heaven and decide, well, this looks like a fun day. I'll send the Spirit on that day. Israel was actually an agricultural society, so a lot of their lives revolved around the the planting and the harvest cycles of various crops that were essential to their survival. 
So God instituted this celebration to mark the first fruits of the grain harvest. This is when the first fruits of the grain harvest were brought in, Pentecost. And thus the feast celebrated God's provision and how he would be providing more as the rest of the crop would come in. Interestingly, each of the feasts of Israel prefigured God's redemptive plan in some way. God's redemptive plan through the Messiah was prefigured by these feasts that God had the Israelites celebrate. For example, and I won't go through all of them. For example, the Passover was when a choice lamb was slaughtered to save Israel from death. We know that the Passover lamb pictured the death of Jesus Christ because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, it calls Jesus our Passover lamb. So also at Pentecost, this was not arbitrary. God sent the Holy Spirit at this Jewish feast to show something, to show his abundant provision for believers. The Holy Spirit is given to the church on the day of Pentecost as the first fruits of the believer's full inheritance that will be given to us in the future. Having and possessing the Holy Spirit now as first fruits is like having the first part of the harvest that's going to come in greater bounty even later. By possessing the Holy Spirit now in the present, the Holy Spirit now is a form of a guarantee, a down payment, a promise that everything that has been promised to us in the future, we will get. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 5 and Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit himself is called the guarantee, the down payment. He is the present down payment of all that God has promised to us in the future. It's really marvelous. Furthermore, and I think this is interesting as background as well, by New Testament times, the Feast of Pentecost had also become associated with something else. It became associated with the Jews' celebration of the anniversary of Moses' first giving of the law at Mount Sinai. That was an important day for the Jews also because it marked the beginning of their nation. When they entered into covenant with God at Mount Sinai, they actually were born as a formal nation. Under covenant, it was a theocracy and God ruled over them. So that day was the birthday of their nation. And they celebrated that at the day of Pentecost by the time uh, you get to New Testament times. So also here, the coming of the Spirit signals the start of something new, not the giving of the law that was already given, you know, some uh, 1,500 years before the day of Pentecost. But what was launched on the day of Pentecost was the start of the what? The church. Oh, my goodness, you got to know that. The church of Jesus Christ began on the day of Pentecost. We've got some work to do. It is ironic, then, that those who call themselves Pentecostals seem to miss the whole import of the Holy Spirit's coming on the day, on the day, on the day of Pentecost. It is commonly taught among Pentecostals that God sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost because the disciples were faithfully praying and faithfully tarrying and waiting and even calling down power from on high. Have you heard that before? As if... These people in the book of Acts set a pattern for us, and if we will just do what they did, the Holy Spirit will also fall on us today. 
That if we call on the Holy Spirit to come, he will descend on us with these signs and these powers. Some of the song lyrics that are sung in praise circles as well. Listen to them. Be careful what you're singing because they're really urging people, call down the Spirit from on high. And though those are contemporary songs, they unfortunately are expressing Old Testament expectations. We are not living in the Old Testament. You do not need to ask the Holy Spirit to come down from heaven. He already came. God sent the Spirit on Pentecost, not just for those disciples, but for the whole church of Jesus Christ, for the entire age, the church age. We are in the new covenant, not the old covenant. The old covenant is not as good as the new covenant. That's why God replaced it. The new covenant, the book of Hebrews says, is a better covenant. God says that. You have a better deal than they had in the Old Testament. You have a better management. You have a better arrangement. You're in a better dispensation. And the Holy Spirit is part of that dispensation. Remember that Acts chapter 2 happens right after Jesus ascended to heaven, right? Remember that? John 7, 39 says the Holy Spirit could not be given until Jesus was glorified. These are historical events. Jesus isn't coming back down to earth to be born of a baby all over again. That's been done. That's been accomplished. Jesus is not going to go back to the cross to die a second time. That's been done. That's over with. Jesus doesn't have to crawl back into a tomb in order to be resurrected from the dead again in order to prove that that happened. That's already been done. The Holy Spirit does not have to come again. He's already come. First, Christ was glorified. Then the Spirit came. This is an historical book, and this is an historical happening. To put it succinctly, no one can imitate the day of Pentecost today. How would they do that? It's like repeating the death of Jesus. The whole point of Acts 2 is not to reproduce it today, but to understand it. We don't reproduce the death of Jesus here. That's Catholicism, right? We celebrate something that happened back then because it's historical, done, and accomplished. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. When you understand Pentecost, you understand it doesn't need repeating. Beloved, the Holy Spirit has come in power just like Jesus promised that he would, and we're in a new age, and we live and minister in a new age, and so that is the when, okay? When, now the where. The where of the Spirit's coming. Verse 1, again, I know, two sermons and we're still in verse 1, but it does build, it does get going. Verse 1 says they were all together in one place. We know that they were in Jerusalem. The exact location, we're not told. It doesn't seem to matter. Some have thought this was this house, as it's called house, was actually the temple in Jerusalem. But Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, never calls the Jerusalem temple a house. Rather, in uh, chapter 3 and verse 1, he uh, uses another term, Yeron, for temple. So most probably they were meeting together in the upper room in Jerusalem, mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 13, maybe another large house in Jerusalem, somewhere in the middle of the town. Remember, these big cities in, in those days were not big in, in comparison to what we think about, but for an ancient city, it was large. Whatever this home was, it was large enough to hold the 120 of those dis- faithful disciples mentioned at the end of chapter 1. 
Now, please remember, it was Jesus' plan, according to chapter 1 and verse 8, for the witness of his chosen apostles to begin in the city of Jerusalem. In the entire world, there was one place Jesus wanted his witness to begin, and that was in this city. That's also outside of that city, right outside of the city, outside of the gate, where he was killed and where he was raised from the dead, right? So the Holy Spirit would descend to empower the witness of the resurrection of Christ right where the events happened, and that was important to God. Because it was truth, it was fact, it could be confirmed, and that was important to God. Jesus promised his disciples that after he ascended to the Father, he would send down a power from on high. In today's message, Pastor Tom taught us when and where this actually took place. He taught us that it wasn't by accident that the Holy Spirit began to work in the church during the Feast of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of the First Fruits. God fully intended to begin a fresh new harvest on that very day. If you enjoyed today's message on Discover Hope, we want to hear from you. Give us a call at 443-200-HOPE. That's 443-200-HOPE. We'd also like to ask you to prayerfully consider donating to this ministry to help us expand the reach of the gospel. You can give securely online at hopebible.org. Do you live in the area of Columbia, Maryland? If so, you're invited to become part of our Sunday morning gatherings here at Hope Bible Church. Join us for a morning of Bible study, worship, and fellowship. Find out more by visiting our website. Again, that's hopebible.org. The coming of the Holy Spirit is both one of the most exciting and important events in the history of the church. Join us next time as Pastor Tom continues to explore this event in the book of Acts. We'll be going beyond the when and where of Pentecost and on to discover more about the who and the what of Pentecost. As we move on, we'll learn why this was such an important event and what it means for us today. Thanks for tuning in today for Discover Hope. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor Tom, visit HopeBibleChurch.org. There's much more to learn from the book of Acts, so we hope you'll join us again right here on Discover Hope.